Welcome to Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. Join me, your host, Sam Wiles, as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hello, hello, and welcome to the episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, this is wide screen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for listening in, and I hope you're all well, safe, and sound. Right, everyone. Yeah. We are indeed going to be, once again, dipping our toe into the dark arts of the Beatles publishing world and having another conversation with author and actor Geoffrey Giuliano. If you don't know Geoffrey, well, firstly, don't tell him that, but he's an interesting figure, to say the least, in the realm of Beatle authors. He's Basically, and I don't think you'd mind me saying this, kind of semi-unofficially blacklisted by a certain group of the establishment who just do not approve of his work. Not saying I agree with any of Jeffrey's works or his opinions or anything like that. That is just the state of affairs as is. Despite his considerable commercial success in the 80s and 90s, he has since gained a reputation for somewhat spurious facts and odd details in his work. In regards to this podcast, he is most well known for writing the McCartney autobiography Blackbird, which is full of interesting tidbits, and by interesting tidbits, I mean some pretty fucking crazy stuff. Hopefully you'll also remember his chat that we had on an earlier episode of the podcast. Go back and check that first interview out if you haven't already. I do refer to it a couple of times in what you're about to hear. But yeah, ever since that first episode went out a few years ago now, there was a part of me that kind of knew he was always going to end up coming back on. Why? Well, mostly because the episode that went out was actually our second conversation, with the first one actually going unrecorded. And I still knew that after the chat we had, that some of Jeffrey's best bits, if you will, were left unrecorded. And Jeffrey's always got more to say than any podcast can ever contain anyway. So, hey, why not have him back on? Well, that was a question I took very seriously. I didn't take this episode lightly. I know the reputation Jeffrey has in the publishing world, the podcasting world, the Beatles legal world even. And I know that having him here on this show might, for some be a black mark against my name and the integrity of this show, especially depending on what I do and how I expose Jeffrey. I was speaking with Diana Erickson from the One Sweet Dream podcast about what I might ask Jeffrey this third time around. And, you know, she reminded me to, to, to take this seriously, to take him to task if I need to. And some of the dangers about giving him a platform, as small of a platform that this podcast is. And it it was a lot to think about. And now that I'm sat here post-interview, I, I am wondering, did I do that? Did I hold him to a high standard? Did I crack down? Did I make him take account for a lot of the stuff he said? And it's really going to be up to you. 
but I don't think I lived up to the hard talking, no shit taking persona that I envisioned as myself going in. And a lot of that is down to me. I'm probably easily swayed by the guile of some of my guests, particularly if they have their own narrative to push. And I probably just didn't suck it up and tell my guests to stop and return to certain topics as often as I should have, you know, because you're barely going to hear me talking in this one, folks. And once Jeffrey starts, it is hard to stop him. And, you know, there are probably 10 times in this interview where I feel like I'm about to move on to something a little more poignant. Jeffrey will touch on it and then immediately hit the brakes and then change course. Uh, maybe it's just the way he speaks. Maybe it's something quite clever. I'm not sure. But now that I have all the time in the world, I did just want to point out a couple of things that I didn't address in this interview that I now can. Right off the bat, I didn't question Jeffrey uh, as to why he didn't mention that one of the main reasons why he went to India last year was because he was getting some dental work done. I don't know why he didn't want to mention that. Jeffrey also mentions how his uh, exploits in India went viral and I forgot to ask him about why this company, why this YouTube channel keeps posting stories about him and I was wondering if he had any relationships with that you know, YouTube site, you know, who else is publishing Jeffrey Giuliano news besides this one site? Of course, the big one, and this is something that I wanted to address the last time I spoke to him, is that Jeffrey kind of makes the case that the vocal minority, as he calls it, the people who speak out against him online, he purports that the issue they have with his books are a lot of the minute dates and uh, factual errors because they were written before the age of the internet, and it's a kind of a sidestep in that the main issue people have is, you know, some of the questionable things he puts in his books that come from spurious sources that he might purport as fact or doesn't um, report on with the right thoroughness that one probably should have. Like, just because someone says it, it doesn't mean it's true. And maybe you should, you know, there's there's loads of stuff like, you know, all the things... Denny and Jojo Lane say about Paul in Blackbird. You've got all the stuff about George in Dark Horse that purported him to, you know, say that great quote about Jeffrey. And then, of course, you've got the Lennon diaries and how Jeffrey supposedly came into transcripts of those and how, you know, they are still yet to see the light of day. And I really should have just hammered that point home. I really should have kept on the point of the Lennon Diaries. Like, I kind of touched on them here. And, yeah, I, I wish I'd talk about them for longer. Speaking of Jojo, I felt like in this interview, the topic of Jojo Lane and John Lennon's supposed romantic tryst was avoided. I kind of wanted Jeffrey to expand upon that. But, again, I, I always have a feeling that he's got books to sell and that he doesn't want to spoiled them as it were you know you've got to read Jeffrey's book to get the real skinny on some of this stuff but yeah I just wish he would expand upon it and the same can be said for the supposed sexual tryst between Linda McCartney and John Lennon something that Diana took particular umbrage with uh, which which she should because it is rather ludicrous and Jeffrey in this interview claims that he didn't remember it exactly so it would be wrong for him to speak about it and quote on it which is fine but it's a pretty big revelation to forget if it were true which I don't think it is 
Of course, Jeffrey is my guest, so you know, as every guest is afforded, links to all of his stuff can be found in the description down below for this video, including a new four-hour audiobook that he has just put out, which looks at the spiritual life of George Harrison. It's called George Harrison, Harry Krishnaman, The Spiritual Journey of the Beatles' Soul as well as a new text that will be coming out very soon in actual hardback, which is Revolution, A Secret History of the Beatles by Jeffrey and Avalon Giuliano. Be sure to check out all of that, folks. You know the drill. But yeah, those are all of my quibbles with this episode out of the way. I hope I've exonerated myself here in the spiritual sense, you know, because... As morally questionable as these chats are, I do have a sick, perverse level of fun when Mr. Giuliano comes on the show. And perhaps in my own lofty, self-aggrandizing, hopefully nowhere near as narcissistic way, that I'm some sort of brave Louis Theroux type who is willing to speak to those on the fringes of society who would, you know, rather be forgotten by certain others. Am I that kind of intrepid journalist? Almost certainly not. But hopefully, you know, you're going to go into the following conversation knowing that the chat itself is not meant to be taken too seriously and neither are any of the participants. <laughs> Though, before we get into any of that, we do have to settle the matter of the... Housekeeping! What do we have in terms of news for today? Well, just the one item, really, and... That is the release of a cover of Junior's Farm by one Jonathan Pushkar. Now, normally I wouldn't cover a single random McCartney cover here on the show. That's more for another side series. But it appears that Jonathan has actually managed to record this song with Jeff Britton, the original Wings drummer from those sessions, as well as Dan Ely, the guy who put up Paul at this farm, at the original Junior's Farm, and gave him his Rickenbacker bass. Like, I don't know how he's done it. I don't know how he's put it together. It really reminds me of Fernando Podomo and the way he's put together his Ram On tribute album, especially with the inclusion of a member of Wings. It's really all quite impressive, actually. And it, it even comes with a music video, too, which may or may not actually be filmed on location at the real Junior's farm, which, again, also pretty badass. Make sure to stick around to the end of this episode where we've been kindly allowed to play the song in full. And you really better stick around, folks, because it's, it's pretty darn good, actually. Links for all of Jonathan's work and his socials can be found in the description for this episode. Make sure you go and check out the rest of his work as well, because he has quite the selection of Beatle and solo Beatles covers, too. They're all pretty fantastic. But yeah, that's it, really, in terms of news, folks. There really hasn't been anything happening this week, so let's just crack on with the socials. To get in touch with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Follow us on our Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod. Check out our sister blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, simply by typing in Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. If you want to help out the show right now in a way that takes less than 30 seconds, please consider leaving us a review or thumbs up on whatever platform you are, you are using. Maybe say something ooh, ever so nice about the podcast in the comments as well. It is always appreciated. And if you want to help out the podcast directly, if you want to help see the show grow, if, 
if you want to help see us expand, keep the lights running, or maybe you just want to buy me a pint to say thank you for all the work I do. Hey, if you want to do any of that, please consider joining our Patreon page. Patreon, as I'm sure you know, is a platform by which you, the public, can support independent content creators such as myself by throwing a couple of dollars at my face down the internet every month. Now, it isn't just a little fundraiser. It is certainly a friends with benefits situation. You get two days early access to every episode. You get access to scripts and raw audio files used for the podcast, all sorts of bonus audio. And the main benefit that I think is the best is you get access to the video feed. All episodes are now recorded on Zoom, and as soon as they are recorded, the raw video and audio is uploaded straight to the Patreon, which means you get access to episodes weeks and weeks before I even start editing them for the show. For example, this interview with Jeffrey now has been up on the Patreon for at least two or three weeks now. So if you enjoyed it, well, you could have enjoyed it a lot sooner, folks. Also got to give a huge shout out to our new patron, Christopher Newman. Thank you so much, Chris. You are number 20. Woohoo! We've broken two decades here on the podcast now. Thank you so much, Chris. You know, it, every single person who joins our little Patreon family is most appreciated. You know, the idea that anyone wants to give anything to Paul or nothing is a pretty crazy concept in itself. So you've got to be a pretty crazy person yourself, I guess. Um, I really hope you are enjoying all of the content and I hope you're enjoying the early access, all of that stuff. Don't be shy in the comments on the Patreon. I always like to hear your opinions and that kind of thing. Hope to see you around, Chris. Thank you so much. Also, massive shout out to Moti Ryber, who has doubled his donation recently. Thank you so much, dude. Every little helps. You know, when someone signs up with the show, that in itself is pretty special. But then when someone goes... No, I'm not giving enough to Paul or nothing. Like, how do I, how do I even process that emotionally? That's that's incredible. So, thank you so much, Moti. That's, thank you so much. I hope you know it means a lot. It really does, and I hope you're enjoying the content. And before we sign out, let's just give a huge shout out to our entire Patreon family now, which includes Christopher Newman, Moti Ryber, Mrs. P, Broderick Harper, Robert Shuley, Christian Perry. Richard Driver, Chris Atkinson, Richard Binnington, Mr. B, Teresa Brader, Stephanie Miller, Lou DiLonardo, Cheryl McCoy, Katrina S, Sam Hode, Anastasia L, Robert Carabelli, Warren Butson, and Matt Phillips. Whew. For anyone keeping track, yes, that is indeed 20 patrons. Woohoo, go you, go me. And now, after all of that, it is indeed time for me to tarnish the reputation of this podcast and possibly isolate myself further from the intelligentsia, the Illuminati of the Beatles' new media slash podcasting world. Gosh, I'm so brave, aren't I? It can only mean, folks, it is time for my second slash third conversation with the infamous Jeffrey Giuliano. Hello there, everyone. Yes, you have indeed read today's title correctly. I am joined once again by the infamous Jeffrey Giuliano here on Paul or Nothing. If you are a newer listener and you haven't already heard our first chat, go back and check it out because we're going to be referring to it today, I'm sure. But yeah, Jeffrey is a best-selling author and music journalist and actor. Many of his tomes you will know all too well, including texts like The Lost Beatles, Interviews, Lennon in America, Dark Horse, and in terms of this show, Blackbird, The Life and Times of Paul McCartney. He is here with me right now, folks. 
And this will probably be the longest point today that he won't be talking. So I'm going to let him off the leash. Folks, please welcome back Jeffrey Giuliano. How have you been doing, bro? What's, what's, what's going on? Cool, man. Everything's fine. That's what I like to hear. Do you feel safer being filmed in supermarkets now that Trump has left office? Yeah. I mean, that was a thing with a paparazzi, man. It was just some <laughs> weird anomaly. The guy was French, which is also a deficit on... And, and you know, he scared my son and I had to react as any, I think anyone would. Yeah, I, 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 what, what I did was I wanted to give him uh, a taste of his own medicine, you know, by play, mm. portraying mm. the ugly American as opposed to being the ugly American. What I like, though, um, very rarely do you ever get a follow up video where someone returns to the to the scene with a follow up video. I really, <laughs> enjoy, I really, I really enjoyed that. I was just trying to rip it off. You know? <laughs> <laughs> in all seriousness, though, what happened in India? Did you and your son make it out okay? I saw that clip on your well, channel. Obviously, we're here in Thailand, but we were stuck for six months. Now, I, I had gone over for uh, a two-week holiday to show my son. I've been involved with uh, the, uh, the International Society for Krishna Consciousness mm -hmm. since I was 15. <clears throat> so I took him to Vrindavan. I wanted to show him the our world headquarters there. Mm -hmm. And and so, uh, uh, you know... We, Without any warning, the Indian government hmm. closed the airports and we couldn't get home. Now, we'd only come for a two-week vacation. And I had brought $2,000, which is more than enough for two weeks in a, a little place like Vrindavan. Mm -hmm. So I didn't bring my ATM card. Oh. And I just brought the cash because I thought, well, 2000 is more than enough. And we were there six months and the money ran out maybe in a month or something. <laughs> And then we had no money in India, <laughs> in India, you know, that's not a very hospitable environment. So uh, we stayed there. And, you know, I, I'll tell you what, if the objective was for my son to understand India and to, you know, he knows every back alley of Vrindavan, Jayapur, New Delhi. Yeah. You know, we were we were like rats scuttling around, <laughs> you know, with the rest of them there. And uh, it was it was an adventure that I would not like to repeat. That is an insane twist to the whole pandemic story. Well, then it also, it also went, it went viral again, mm. like the, the supermarket in Thailand, because I have this modicum of ever-diminishing uh, fame <laughs> yeah. as, as, a, as, a, as a fixed Z-lister. Uh, I, I, you know, that people pick up things about me when I get into trouble. It just somehow or other, they pick it up. You know, and I'm I'm glad it's on the internet forever. But I noticed yeah. you didn't send any money. Oh, uh, if I had money to send, I would glad I would yeah, I know. send it. I understand. <laughs> You're incorrigible. But uh, actually, yeah, people did send people. I'm happy to say did send money. Yeah. To my PayPal enough for us to survive and get home. Uh, and then, of course, I paid yeah. I paid everyone back when I got home. I kept their details meticulously mm. and paid them all back because I had you know plenty of money. I just didn't have access to it. Now, something you told me off air, um, you've told me that a lot of your books are being reprinted on actual well, I'll, paper. I'll, I'll, explain, I'll explain that. No, I'll explain that to you. Okay. So I can't die until I finish my work. Uh, this is, a, 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 you know, about 45% of my life's work has been writing these books. Mm -hmm. So I think it's um, incumbent upon me to, to republish the books. Now, the first hurdle was getting the rights back because I was paid a great deal of money, mm. you know, relatively speaking for me, a few million dollars uh, for the rights to those books from 1984 to 2006 when my last book was published. 
And mm -hmm. so I had leased or rented or licensed uh, the rights to these books to publishers. And I had to wait till they were done with them in, in order to get the rights back, to revert those rights. So I got on the phone and I called them all. And I said, hey, look, man, I want my rights back. And a lot of them said, no, we're not going to give them back to you. And I said, okay, well, that's okay. You haven't sent me a royalty statement in several years, so I'm going to sue you. And that worked with almost all of the books. Right. There is one of which, of, of which I, I cannot name for legal reasons that they, is still not in my hand. But the rest of them I got back successfully. So then the next thing was, now this is, there's a guy, an Irish guy, Mick something. <laughs> Why would his name be Mick? <laughs> and and uh, he did a show with me and he said, well, this is wrong and that's wrong. And it, well, listen, let me explain something to you. I wrote these books before there was any internet. Mm -hmm. We had to go to libraries and get physical copies of magazine articles, newspapers, go through microfiche. Go all the, I mean, it was it, so there's absolutely missed errors in my book. So that that bothered me because, you know, as we all know, I'm in some circles at what I call a small vocal minority. I'm a target. You know, people like to, to have a go at me. So and, and I don't want to give them any latitude to do that. So what I've been doing for several years, over a decade, is trying to get those bugs out of the books mm. by double checking, fact checking, hiring people to help me. <clears throat> so one of my ambitions when I was writing those books was to do the definitive Beatles biography. And I did a book called Carry That Weight. I didn't like that name. Other people picked it with Sidgwick <laughs> and Jackson in London. Now, the Beatles unauthorized. The Beatles strictly unauthorized, it was called. So... I was sued by Magic Alex Mardas for saying that he had smoked marijuana in the 60s, which is <laughs> moronic. But even though I had, because there's lawyers that uh, vet the books, even mm. though I had video from the anthology of George Harrison talking about smoking pot with Magic Alex, even though I had all kinds of factual uh, documentation to that fact, and Sidgwick and Jackson said, listen, it's going to cost us far much more to fight it than to settle. So they gave this fucking idiot 550,000 pounds for the lie of him saying that he never smoked a joint in the 60s and I had defamed his character. He's dead now. Fuck him. May you rot in hell. And this, this was very injurious to my career because Sidgwick and Jackson dropped me they didn't even want to give me a copy of the book. Eden, I'll show you the book. Eden, come here. Um, so I finally got a copy of the book. Sometimes you can find it online. People don't realize that book's worth a couple of grand. Because what happened was, um, get, find me the Carry That Weight book, the white one, the valuable one. So I, uh, uh, they, they, they burned them. That was part of the thing. They had to physically destroy all the copies. But they were destroy. in the bookshop. They were in the bookshop for about a week. Now, if anybody can find this book online, which sometimes you can, people just think it's an old book. Mm. It's worth money. It's worth money. So this book is coming out again. Now, I was going to have it come out while Magic Alex was still alive and just take out the marijuana shit. Yeah. What I did do was I, fortunately, he died. Fortunately, that man died. So I then not only kept in the marijuana, but every fucking bad thing I could find about this motherfucker, um, I made sure to pile it on there and, and really, you know, uh, kind of do what, my, what 
a lot of Beatle readers do with me. Eden, could you just a minute? I have something else to show you. Eden, go get that t go get those t-shirts from the car. I'm going to show our friend uh, one of the t-shirts that I designed. <clears throat> so this book is just about ready to come out again. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's just about ready to come out again. And this will be the first of, I think, 32 books that I've written, not only on the Beatles, but Pete Townsend, Jimi Hendrix. Brian Jones, that one. Brian Jones. Yeah, that's a big one. Mm. Not quite so big as the BB, BBC, the Irish BBC, uh, Gloria Hunniford. I wrote her. You know, you know who Gloria Hunniford is. I didn't know you did a book on her, though. That's interesting. I did. I did a lot of things on her. Hey, oh one God. of them. One of them was a book, right. and for which I was paid handsomely. We're starting uh, early and, today, uh, folks. We're starting early. That's good. Yeah, Ugh. well, it's me. Don't, you should have had a parental <laughs> warning on this thing that mm. you're talking to Jeffrey. All right, so I'll show you a shirt that I did, and you know, you know that I get a lot of stick from people, right? So whenever people who obsess about the Beatles, and I would, I would put you, include you in that category. Oh, you've made it. You made it. I there we go. Designed that shirt. The, the b And you should definitely wear one like 24 hours a day. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're, you're the biggest B-tard I know. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. I'll be those are, available on, yeah. those are available on Etsy. But curiously, so far, I'm the only one that's bought one. Now, what are we going to talk about today, uh, Buana? Well, um, the first thing you wanted to talk about was Ram. So I thought we'd talk a bit, a bit, a bit about that. I, I could talk about Ram forever. I, I have a lot of... Uh, Beautiful associations with Ram. First of all, as a Hare Krishna, I think the name should be pronounced Ram. Ram. Okay. Yeah. Ram. 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 Yeah. Raman. Give yeah. your heart to Sri Krishna soon, right away. Hari bol. I always and I, you know, I was so happy when I saw it in the store mm. because I thought, oh fuck. He's converted. With George has gotten to him. It's, That's <laughs> he's, great. Done, he's done an album called Ram. And, and, I, and have you ever thought of it in terms of Ram or always Ram? I think I'm the only guy. That's fresh to me. I love it. I love it. Uh, is is the Ram itself in part of the symbolism or the or the or the oh, faith or so anything? Oh, so much there. But I want yeah. to tell you about my personal associations with that album. So at that time, my wife, who passed away in uh, 2017, the day after Christmas. She was a young, beautiful, leggy, buxom girl called Brenda Black. And we yes. were at junior college together. And we used to, you know, sneak away to a friend's house or something and make love and listen to that album. You know, um, we were only driving, sitting in the back seat of the car. Yeah. And long haired <laughs> lady. And e- I like eating at home. Boy. Yeah. 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 Well, eat at home. Yeah. We did a lot of eating at home. We didn't go out much. So, yeah. So that was a, a real beautiful time for me. And I was a kind of, you know, every, I, everybody is beautiful, physically beautiful when they're young, you know, and I was, yeah, I was beautiful. I had long hair and my girlfriend had long hair and two little blonde pieces in the front and she would iron it. Her friends would iron it on the ironing board to make sure it was super straight. And, you know, we had real cool hippie clothes and it was, and we'd hang out with our friends and we'd all go skinny dipping together and go see George Harrison at the Omni stadium in, uh, in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, so that was a really, a really good time. Hey, here's something pe- nobody knows, and I've never, ever mentioned it before. I worked for Apple Records. I worked for Apple Records in 1974. If you can look up Ringo Starr's longtime attorney called Bruce Graykel. 
here's how it, that's who I were. That was my point man at Apple. Here's, here's what happened. <clears throat> I knew a beetle collector. Like there was like two beetle collectors in Tampa, Florida, where I was growing up. I being one of them. And this other guy said, Oh, you're the guy who likes the Beatles. Yeah. He says, well, I've got tapes that nobody has of the let it be sessions to get back sessions. Mm. And this was the first time these ever uh, appeared. Now I'll tell you how they ultimately came to the public in, in a bootleg called a famous bootleg called the black album. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people. Yeah. Okay. So the, those tapes were given to me on a professional, well, they were shown to me on a professional mixed down master, big reel of two, two or four reels of tape. So I'm, I called Apple and I said, listen, some guy has all these, all these uh, tapes from the let it be in, in Tampa, Florida. Yeah. So they flew me out there and they gave me $4,000. Right. And it said on the check, it said charge to Apple Corps, re magical mystery to magical mystery investigation. So I had my little $4,000, which I, you know, I'd never seen any amount of money like that before. And then a couple of weeks after I got home, the FBI came to my house, two great big sort of brutish looking guys. And I was to meet them in the corner. And then they rushed me away. Um, it was very secretive. And they handed me an envelope with $2,000. And then I was to meet this guy at a, it might've been a record store. I think it was a record store and pay him the tooth on Kennedy Boulevard in Tampa, Florida, and paid him this $2,000 for these tapes. He gave me the $2,000. I bought the tapes. I gave them to the FBI, and I never heard anything about it again from Apple or anybody else. But, yeah, I worked for Apple Records for a few weeks in 1974. And what did I do with the money? What did I do with the money? I took all of my friends to see George Harrison in Atlanta, all of my Hare Krishna hippie buddies, and my girlfriend and we, we, we went to Atlanta, Georgia to, to see George Harrison. So this was right around the Ram time. When it was released in 72? 71. When was it released? 71. So Red Rose Speedway and Wildlife and Ram are wonderful. And you know what's wonderful about those three records in, in, in addition to Paul McCartney is Linda McCartney. Yeah. That American Debbie, the cheerleader vocals are just fantastic. And they just, and, and another thing too, I used to say to Brenda, who later became Vrinda when she took an initiation in ISKCON, I used to say to Brenda, you know, this ram is going to be around forever. I, and I said, they'll make a Broadway play out of it and somebody will be Billy Budapest, you know. And he'll take us on this journey. So it's 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 a spect it it is as I said to you online. It is Paul McCartney's solo, Sergeant Pepper. I was going to say his revolver, but I get that. Yeah, it's it's very expansive, and he's done nothing that kind of comes close to that style. And it's no. Well, good. I mean, I mean, you know, we're doing the phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. of pie. Butter off and mouth, so we put in the pie. You know, it was just, and I can tell you that that's very marijuana influenced. I imagine now, so. Now, De Denny Lane lived at my house for a long time. And we'll get to that later as well. We're right, get right. To that and he's a fucking yob. But anyway, uh, I don't really like, he's kind of a miserable fuck. But anyway, he was married to Helen Grant at the time, the, the sole heiress to Peter Grant. 
Grant, as you would say, Peter Grant, the uh, the manager of Led Zeppelin, who got a equal share with the band when he that was her father. And when he mm-hmm. died, Helen got all that money. So God bless you, Helen. And she's never surfaced. She just took the money and left. <laughs> you know? Anyway, I digress. So Denny told me that when they were recording that album, there was a little game they used to. They'd be working. And at any time, any this has never been known. It's never been in a book. Somebody in the band would shout, little mouse. And then they'll go, it's a mouse, a mouse, a mouse, oh my God, a mouse. And they'd get on the chair and they'd go through this whole drama about there being a mouse running around the studio. You know, Linda would lift up her skirt and this kind of thing. Wouldn't be the first time for that either. But anyway, uh, so, yeah, so. Um, That's weird, the mouse thing, though, because obviously the Bruce McMouse show's only just come out and kind of been. I don't, been, yeah, been I don't released. know. It's, I, I, you know, his animation, <laughs> his animation has always left me cold, although he put his heart and soul into it. And, you know, I became a little bit friendly with Linda. In a way, when I was had just written The Beatles A Celebration, which the Beatles all liked, by the way. And then I wrote, well, and that was, I and you know, that, that was your first one, wasn't it? That was my first one. Yeah. And then the second one was John Lennon, my brother, and Paul McCartney wrote a foreword to that book. Funny story about that. I, well, I found Julia. I went to England to find Julia Bear. Now, she was a French teacher. And... I said to her, I, I found her in Liverpool. And she says, I want nothing to do with writing any book. And I said, okay, well, then I guess people are just going to think your mother was a whore forever. What? What? Wait a minute. Maybe we should no, slow down. <laughs> so if you write this book, yes, that's right. If I write this book, we can tell the true story of Julia Lennon, or Stanley, uh, Julia Lennon, Stanley Lennon. And people won't think she's a whore. Do people think she's a whore? I think some do, yeah. And so that was the, the way I got coerced in. her. Yeah. And got in there. Yeah, it's exactly what I said. You know me. I wouldn't mince words. I said, okay, well, then I guess everybody's going to think your, your mother's a whore. <laughs> a whore. So I, I wonder how many people I've already offended. So, so uh, Paul McCartney wrote the introduction to that book. Mm. Before that, the sales, it wasn't published, but the sales to publishers around the world were okay. When he wrote a fucking paragraph, just, you can read it, find the book and read it. Mm. Uh, A little paragraph, not more than one paragraph for that book. We made hundreds of thousands of dollars each, Julia and I, for that book. People just kept throwing money at me because Paul McCartney wrote the introduction. Now, he really liked that book. He liked my first book. And then my third book was Dark Horse, and I didn't hear from people anymore. Yeah, can 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 we just address the classic dark horse quote where like Olivia Harrison's like, "Oh, Jeffrey, he sure. he, he misunderstood George's famous quote, which is uh, Jeff- no, no, Jeff- that's not what she said. Yeah. What, what, you should actually bring. Why don't you bring it up and read it? Yeah, hang on. It's it's literally because it's it's, yeah. so, it's wonderful, and you know, people it it doesn't offend me at all because I have my opinions about Olivia, and I'll give them to you in, momentarily. But let's hear what Olivia uh, had to Olivia, say about. I think it's on your Wikipedia actually. No, just put Jeffrey Giuliano, Olivia Harris, and it'll come right up. Uh, For those that don't know. The sight of Jeffrey Giuliano's face is enough to make anyone a recluse. My husband once made a remark, that guy knows more about my life than I do. Mr. Giuliano missed the joke and used it to endorse his book. To rate himself as the world's greatest rock and roll biographer, a laughable title in the first place, is nothing but... A delusion. Did, did did you misunderstand the joke, or is it just a good quote to I have? I didn't on misunderstand the book? anything. Yeah, I, she's quite right. I was on the make. 
look, it's not a big deal. He said, oh, this guy. See, uh, what happened was George was interviewed by People magazine. He mm. got an advance. Oh, one thing nobody knows, I've never spoken about this either, is Dennis O'Brien, his manager, called me. Mm. Now, listen to this. Before the book was just about to come out, before it went to the press. Mm-hmm. And he said, we're very concerned. We'd like to know what's in the book. I said, hey, no problem. Tell you what, why don't we do this? Why don't I'll send, I'll courier, courier you, because we didn't have internet, uh, and the book, and you and George can go through, whoever, just go mm-hmm. through it and redline anything you don't like in that book, and I'll take it out. And of course, George can make any additions or deletions that he wants, because I love George Harris, especially George. I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a Hare Krishna. He's a Hare Krishna. So wonderful, wonderful. So sure, here. What about the contract? I don't care about the contract. I, I care about George and his feelings and getting it right. And they declined that offer. Well, why did you call then? Well, we just wanted to blah, blah, blah. So I did hear from Dennis O'Brien, who later ripped George off for millions of dollars. Mm-hmm. You can look that up too. Yeah. yeah. So um, she, she's George Harrison made that remark. And when we were looking for things to put on the back cover, I said, well, why don't you put this? This guy knows more about my life than I do. Now, people. It's a good quote. It's a good quote. People throw this at me as if I'm a convicted pedophile. It's a fucking quote, you know, which is quite reasonable, says a lot. It's evocative. And I put it on the on the back or we put it on the back of the book and it helped to sell a lot of books, which is the primary reason that people write these books. Uh, when I was with George Harrison in, in Hamilton, Oxfordshire, at the ho- home of John Lord, the keyboard player from Deep Purple, George Actually, said to can, me, can, can you just tell that whole story, the whole George Harrison narrative? Can you just do that from start to finish? Well, I don't know what you mean by the whole story. Tapping him on the knee and stuff, because we've spoken... Oh, you remember all that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. So, well, yeah, this so, like folks... The, the best, yeah. This is the best of times... And the worst of times. So, folks, um, if you don't remember, me and Jeffrey spoke once before, but it didn't record. And this story was the highlight of that chat for me. So, okay, so here's what happened David Pritchard and Alan Lysett are radio producers in Toronto. And they sent me to this is my first real job, I think. They sent me to London to uh, do, I think it was additions to their Beatles radio show that had been all quite successful and around the world, and they had a lot of money. So mm-hmm. they sent me to London to try to do some interviews to augment that. So I happened to meet, I don't know how, Legs Larry Smith uh, from the Bonzo Dog Band. And Larry, one night, we went, we partied. And then he said, well, shall I drop you, dear boy? And I said, well, actually, I don't have anywhere to stay. And this is in central London. He said, well, you must come back to my place for the night. Mm-hmm. So I went back to his place with his girlfriend and him. And I stayed there. And where was this place? Hambleton, Hambledon, Oxfordshire, which is right outside of Henley. And it was the home of John Lord from Deep Purple. Nice guy who told me, you can go swimming in the pool. Just don't do it when anyone famous is here. (laughs) I never went. I never went swimming in the pool. Yeah. He also told me, I like I got a little bit of a coke problem. So what I do is I put the Coke under the nanny's mattress because there's no way I can go in there at three in the morning and say, get up, get up. I take that fucking mattress apart. I find that Coke. He said, it's the only way I can keep myself from wanting more in the middle of the night. Anyway. So, I mean, Alvin Lee came, Joe Brown, many people, George and Olivia. All right. So I was staying, long story short, I was staying at this Mm -hmm. house for a while and we were working on a 
movie called script called Half of Larry's Lunch, which was supposed to be a comeback for Larry and the Bonzo Dog Band. And we were thinking that George Harrison, and he had given some indication that he might want it for handmade films. He was producing films at that time. Mm. This was 1983. So we were writing that together. This is before I had any books out. So one night, Larry said, well, I'm just nipping off to Waitrose <laughs> in Henley to get, I think it was wine. And it was raining. And I was there alone in this big mansion. Uh, John Lord had not moved in yet. Larry was the, the ground housekeeper, not house, house sitter. So it was raining really hard. And I heard what I thought was a tap at the door. And I thought, oh, Larry's forgotten his key. So I went and the, the door was a big wooden manor door, but it was all a frame of glass, like a, a, almost like a picture frame. And in that picture frame, <laughs> Oh was God. George and Olivia Harrison. And I was, I can't admit, my face did something astounding. I know, jaw dropping, something. I mean, he could, I'm sure he could read after all those years. And he just, I opened the door and he said, hello, and kind of pushed by me. And Olivia pushed by me. She was all replete and knee high over the knee, actually. White leather boots and all kinds of white leather coat, extremely done up. And George had green corduroy, uh, wide corduroy pants, uh, sort of construction boot type things and a plaid shirt with a t-shirt underneath. And if you look at pictures of him from that era, he wore plaid shirts a lot. I, I, you know, I don't know, it's a small bit of trivia. So uh, what about hair? What about hair and beard? What's going on? Okay, well, his hair was uh, kind of that from the time of all those years ago. He looked like that. Right, right. So kind of like you. <clears throat> so uh, he walked in and I, I said, well, Larry's not here. Please come into the lounge. There's a, a long hall, sort of not very wide. Come into the lounge and we'll just wait for Larry. So we came in and I was alone with George Harrison. I, I want to say something about Olivia. Olivia stayed out in the hall for a minute. George came in. I want to tell you. What, no, no. It was Olivia that came in first. George stayed in the hall. And. All I can tell you is, is, and I'm just being completely honest, it's nothing to do with the article. She filled the room with her ego. Just filled the room with something I know about. It was maybe, I, I don't know what it was, but it was just such a very unpleasant, immediate mutual dislike between myself and Olivia Harris. Now, George came in. Larry, oh, I know what I said to George. The first thing is, I said, Harry Bowl. Now, for those of you who know ISKCON, that mean, that's a greeting that devotees do to each other. Mm. And when he heard that, he knew everything about me. He knew I was a devotee, aspiring. He knew everything. So he didn't like that. So I saw his face, his face, he kind of looked at the floor, his face turned down. And I said, oh, fuck, I'm trapped with another Hare Krishna here. <laughs> so Larry came home. Could you, you can imagine how many people have approached George. Hare oh, Krishna. They, hey, you're with me. I'm with you. Hey, come on. Come on. I'm going to come in the house, whatever it is. You know, they just, they would, they would uh, insinuate themselves in the, into George's life because they were, had the same religion and they thought it was cool. And George thought it was cool to a certain extent. Anyway, I digress. Mm -hmm. So Larry came home a few minutes later, maybe 10 minutes later, and George immediately went out in the hall and spoke to him. And I knew they were having, I knew they were having some sort of discussion about me. So... Larry came in, there was uh, 
wine and stuff. Now, the way that was a small room, it was his artist studio. He's a graphic artist, among other things. And we had, he talked to Olivia and I talked to George. George was sitting in a corner. Now this, there were a few, like it was okay until it wasn't. And it's like, I got really close to George Harrison. I was sitting on an ottoman stool and he was sitting in a chair against the wall. And I said, and, and until we talked about the Beatles, it was totally cool. The minute uh, the Beatles were brought up and I brought it up, foolishly, ballsy. I brought up the Beatles. Yeah. And then it, it all quickly disintegrated. But I said, he was there, his knees were in front of me and I was really close to him, really close, and uncomfortably invading his space close. And I tapped him on the knee and I said, you know, you guys were so far out when you guys did it, you had the whole world behind you. Tap, 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 tap. I was not only in his fucking space, retard and betard that I was, no longer. I'd handle it much differently now as a man of the world. But at that time, it was shocking to be with George Harris. I, you know, especially when you don't, like I always tell people, if someone would have said, look, Jeffrey, George is coming over tonight. It's a little social gathering, just me, you, George, and Olivia. Be cool. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, just let me, let me go in the room and get it together. When's he going to be here? He's going to be here in an hour. Okay, okay, I'll get it together. If someone would have done that, it would have been, don't mention the Beatles, Jeffrey. Okay, 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 I got it, I got it. It also killed me because I had a really expensive camera in my bag at the foot of the chair where George uh, was. And I really wanted to, you know, because he wouldn't have said no. I wanted, George, can we get like a whole bunch of pictures together? So I didn't do that. Anyway, I tapped him on the shoulder and he just moved his knee away. Like just moved it, you know, in a not very pleasant way. And I knew then, oh, fuck. I have just touched George, repeatedly touched George Harrison's leg uninvitedly. And gotten close to him, what we call in America, close talking. So I just, I blew it. So he got up. Well, then we had a big discussion about the Hare Krishna movement because it wasn't very positive. And he said something to me in a real snot. He said several things. I'll tell you some things he said. He said, why don't you become a guru? You're about the right age. <laughs> and I, I'm like, oh, so, yeah, yeah, you should be a guru, man. You know, you're about, you're you're American guy. You're about, he was taking the piss because these gurus in this kind are highly questionable after Prabhupada left the planet. He said something about Mark Lewis. Ooh. I'll I'll tell you now. So so he's a figure at this point in 83 already then. He goes that far back. Oh, wow. He said, Mark, this is exactly the words. Mark Lewis, he's supposed to be the big expert, isn't he? This is when his first book came out. Well, I picked up one. I picked up his book, opened it, and the first thing I saw was wrong. That's what he said about Mark Lewis. And then he kind of, in other words, the idea is that mm. Mark Lewis didn't know what he's talking about. I'm just telling you what he told me. Uh, Interesting. Let's then let- he said to me, let me tell you what he said about Yoko Ono. He said she was a witch. A witch. He used that word witch. And then later Yoko, and I said that in a lot of interviews. And then later Yoko put out a, a song called Yes, I'm a Witch. Hey, uh, that's yeah. cool. That was, that was my, that lasted. Now, Olivia says it was 10 minutes. It wasn't 10 minutes. It was about 40 minutes. About 40 minutes that I was there with George Harrison before I touched. When I touched his knee, he got up. He said, well, I got to pick up my son at soccer practice. And, um, 
he got up and they left. And then Olivia would call. I didn't like Olivia. She didn't like me. She would call from time to time for Larry. And I would say, with the, she's, got, she's American. I'd say, who's calling, please? Knowing full well who it was. And she would like go, Olivia Harrison. Is Larry there? Yes, one moment, Olivia. Very nice to hear from you. Very nice to hear from you, too. You know, she just had to go through these motions, right? So, yeah, so that's my George Harrison story. No, listen, I, I, I'm a wildly imperfect human being, all right? So all these people, you know, and he's not a, I, I didn't treat him, I don't know, it, it didn't go well. But I was alone with George Harrison for more or less a couple of people in the room for well, around 40 minutes in 1983. See, like, just listening to you talk about this story, I don't see, how, how has a guy like you not done some sort of autobiography just to... I have. I have. Right. I have. Right. Where, well, where, where, where? No, 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 no. It's an audio book. Okay. It's an, I won't bother to find it, but it's an audio book called Bad Words. You know, people say I'm such a shit, and I'm a writer, so I called it Bad Words. Because when I was a kid, my mother used to say, hey, don't say any bad words. Obviously, I didn't heed that advice very well, and I've said a great deal of bad words. So it's not a book book. It's an audio book right now. It's already out all around the world. Bad words, Jeffrey Giuliano. You, it's, it's there on the Internet. Go and check yeah. that out, folks, because I know I would. But, but, but it's, it's, it you might not be that easy to find, but it, uh, it's not very, it didn't sell very well. So um, it's, it's 1953 to 1971. I did it in parts. Right. And I haven't, done, I haven't taken it up. On the second part, of course, the George Harrison visit and all everything will be in there. Awesome. There's no sense writing an autobiography if you don't tell everything about yourself. Speak I'm not telling everything, but almost everything. Speaking of um, books, let's let's go backwards uh, to uh, Julia Baird and the book he did with her. So, what was mm -hmm. that? What was that working relationship like then? Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you everything about. It. She's a highly educated woman. Everyone in that family is extremely intelligent. The, the Leela Harvey, Dr. Leela Harvey, she's dead now. Everybody's dead. Dr. Leela Harvey was the cousin, very close to John. They were the same age. She's dead. She was a doctor. Julia speaks many languages and was a French teacher, French not being her native tongue. Extremely educated, extremely intelligent, no nonsense, takes no prisoners, you got to be on your game with Julia. I remember we were sitting and she lived in Chester near the wall. There's some kind of famous wall yeah. in Chester. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about Chester. But there was a wall outside. There. Yeah, that's the famous wall. Okay, great. So we smoked a joint together, some hashish. And I thought, fuck, I'm smoking some hash with John Lennon's sister. And she really looks like John. She's got the oh, okay. nose, the whole. Yeah, oh, she was cool. you know, so, so we... And she was like, mm, it was okay. We had some good times together. Later on, she, I feel she cheated me or ripped me off. Well, what do you mean? Well, she wrote a second. Okay. The yeah, book that yeah. we had, the book that we had was 50-50. John Lennon, my brother, owned by each of us. So that means unless we both agree, neither can do anything with that book. So she didn't like being in that jail, that literary jail with me. Mm. So she wrote another book. So I had an attorney an intellectual property attorney in London, read that book, both books, page by page. And she said, he called me up, he said, Jeffrey, it's the same fucking book. 
It's just she's changed almost nothing and added a few things. Mm. So I said, all right, let's get her for, and then, but then she, you see that what brought this up was she had sold the rights to the book for nowhere to nowhere boy, you know, the yeah. movie. Yeah, I yeah. should have got, if, if, as, as things stood, I should have gotten, I should have gotten 50% of her money. So she wrote another book to get around that, in my opinion. Yeah. And my lawyer agreed. But the thing is, he wanted so much money to sue her that I didn't have the money and I couldn't sue her, although I announced the suit and you'll see it online. But it never really happened because I I didn't have all that money to give to an attorney. Is this like kind of like before that kind of no win, no fee claim culture where you can kind of just like that's so annoying that you have to put down such a large down payment. Shouldn't it just be, we'll win it and then pay me back after? That seems like a missed opportunity. Well, I mean, I wouldn't work for free. You're the only fucker that works for free. <laughs> Everybody else demands payment. Definitely. <laughs> so I don't, I don't, it was just, it just, it was one of those things. Did you, did, did you watch the movie? If, 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 one of, if somebody out there wants to sit there and read a one page of John Lennon, my brother, and one page of whatever her book mm. is called, Imagine That or whatever it is, um, you'll see it's basically the same book. In a legal opinion of my London attorney. So, so that was just a, a th- I, do I like Julia Baird now? No. Do I think she used me? Yes. Do I think that I was ripped off? Absolutely. And believe me, she got so much money that I think she bought the Cavern Club, if I'm not mistaken. She oh. bought a big chunk. She bought a big chunk of Ma- Matthew Street. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. She got a lot of money for that. Oh. Jeffrey Giuliano should own part of Matthew Street in Liverpool. You yes, heard it here first, be, folks. Yeah, I, I, I turned it into a museum for myself. <laughs> and I, I, put it, I put it at the top. This guy knows more about my life than I do, George Harris. <laughs> Did you watch Nowhere Boy or, or can you not see no, through it? No, yeah. no, 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 no. I don't like any of these movies that pretend to be the Beatles or Freddie Mercury, any of that shit. When Netflix is done with The Crown, that'll be their next big one. That'll be their next big one. Ten seasons for ten years in their life. It'll be the biggest thing on earth, and I'm sure you'll despise it. <laughs> I went to see John Paul, George, Ringo, and Bert at the Lyric Theatre in 1974 in London, and I, I, that put me off any kind of. I don't like any. You know, I'm well. I'm a recovering beatard. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I um, the fact I don't that have much to do. I don't have much to do with it anymore. Yeah, like um, the fact that you wanted to talk about Ram just earlier was kind of in- interesting for me. Do you not feel the same kind of uh, lethargy with their solo careers? No, I, I I love Wildlife. I love Red Rose Speedway. I love Ram. What was after Ram? Yeah, so it, it went Ram, then Wildlife, then Red Rose, then Band on the Run, then Venus and Mars. Oh, okay, well, up to yeah. Band on the Run, and then yeah. I kind of fell off. Yeah. What about George and John? All things must pass. Oh, this and I have something to tell you. Wow. I know this. I, I hang out in Milan sometimes. I like, I have friends in Italy. I'm Italian. I like to go there. So I met, I, I recorded my audiobook for Dark Horse in a studio in, called Real Sound in Milan. And when I was there, I met some studio musicians and this guy's called Luca. And he's a brilliant musician. So about, people are going to love this, love to hate this, is that people don't, you know, I'm a bit of a musician. I've made a few albums. I'm a singer, songwriter. But it's nothing I really developed very much. In the 80s, I did some albums and three albums, two albums. Anyway, I am right now working on 
an album called Three Worlds at His Feet, the music of George Harrison. And oh, okay. I am going to, I'm going to be singing some of, covering some of George Harrison's songs. Interesting. I wonder what you're going to That will really piss people off. Uh, hopefully, oh, not, not, that, that is not my intent by any means. But I mean, I listen, I, I you know, I, I, I don't like being a, a target for people's obsessive compulsive disorder. You know, I listen, I've had death threats and everything else. It's not just mm-hmm. that, oh, it's fun and gay. it's not all, you know, people, I have a 13 year old boy in the other room there. You know, I've had death threats and everything. And it's not comfortable to be uh, the object of derision. No, I I have achieved a lot. You know, now everybody publish self publishes their book, but mm. I did it when people paid you millions of dollars for the rights to a book. Me and Mark Lewison. There was a time when there was two guys doing this: Mark Lewison and myself. Well, now everybody does. Yeah. The other thing, well, I noticed um, there's that one of the Wikipedia's out there is just for reviews, and every time someone's mentioned. And loads of your reviews are on there from uh, contemporaneous sources from when oh, the books were released. All the bad reviews. All, oh, no. Only bad reviews. No, no, no. Most, oh. Mostly all positive. They were, they were contemporaneous from when they were released, not from mm. years later. And, I, mm. I, I, you know, I'll admit I was very shocked at how widely positive they all were. So when did the reputation begin? Was it after? Look, I hear from people every day about mm. my books. Books are like children. You give birth to a child and it goes out into life and has its own existence, yeah. which has nothing to do with me. It could, it could uh, inspire someone to murder. It could inspire someone to feed the homeless, you know, to, to give alms to the widows in, in India. Mm-hmm. God knows the effect that it has on people. Someone's going to be a musician. Someone's going to say, fuck the Beatles. I want nothing to do with this. And whatever it is. They have a, an impact and it's got nothing to do with me. I write a book, I'm paid, I move on to the next one. Mm. So I will tell you, as God is my witness, that about 90% of the feedback that I get is not positive. It's celebratory. It's devotional. It's like, you've changed my life. Oh, calm down, dude. I didn't, you know, there's no life changing. It's just a book. No, no, Jeffrey, you're the only one. da, 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 da. And then there's a, what I call a vocal minority that like to have a go. At, and then I have a go at them, too, with the Beatard T-shirts and whatever. I, I, I pretty, I'm, a, I'm a troll's dream because I always, not always, but mostly I answer back and say, well, where do you come out? And people say the most outrageous things about me. I Look, I don't mind if, if somebody doesn't like the book or books. That's one thing. But don't make up lies. Don't say shit. And I'll tell you the worst. This is funny. The worst feeling of all was when I went to some Beatle book, Facebook page. And I said a few things and the, the administrator said, well, what are you doing here? Well, what, what are you doing here? What, why would you, who are you to comment? And it became clear to me that they had no idea who the fuck I was. Past tense was. And I said, oh, and I will tell you, I've been insulted, death threats, people showing up at my house. But the worst feeling I've ever had was to be forgotten. Oh, yeah. That was like, like, you don't, you're not, who are you? you?" I said something about, yes, other Beatle authors like Mark Lewis and Albert Goldman. What are you, who are you? What do you say? What do you mean, who am I? Jeffrey Giuliano, what are you talking about? So it was, um, that really stung way worse than people saying I'm a jerk or whatever. 
that to be forgotten and ignored. So that was actually when I decided, fuck this, I'm going to put out my books again before it's makes sense too late. Yeah. Yeah. Last time we had you on, we uh, tackled the famous Jojo Lane gun, uh, uh, Jimmy putting a gun at Paul's head quote. And I think we deconstructed that quite roundly. What about other ones like Lennon's supposed tryst with Jojo? That was in Lennon, uh, Lennon in America, I believe. Look, I, I know what Jojo, look, jo, Denny and Jojo. They're not, they're, they're not unbiased in any way in this story. Like, are they, you know? I don't know what they are. They lived at my house. I, I paid their bills and they told me stories. I'm a journalist. I mean, what would anybody do? But I mean, I, I make, I don't say that this is like, you know, been verified by the high, you know, London high court. I just say, this is what I was told by Denny and Jojo. I mean, Denny's well thought of, is he not? Or maybe he's not anymore. I don't know what, how, what the public perception of Denny Lane is. Uh, I think, I think the, I think the fans still love Denny on the whole. Uh, I think there's still a section that probably doesn't like the way the band ended, but uh, I mean, for example, something that you've got, you've got, you've got George Harrison hair. (laughs) That's the best compliment ever. Yeah, uh, someone asked George, uh, Paul about George and Harry. He says, it's like a fucking turban. Yeah. It's like a fucking turban. It's yeah. a hair helmet. Yeah. And you've got that thick fucking hair like George. So anyway, I'm sorry I digress. Yeah, um, something that I Like discovered- a fucking turban. <laughs> something I discovered recently, uh, there's a piano tape of McCartney's home recordings in 74. Mull of Kintyre's already pretty much written. So then when you go back and read like, ah, oh, he made Denny sell it for a hundred pounds, the rights were- That's true, no, a hundred thousand pounds. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, was it a hundred thousand? I thought he said- A hundred thousand pounds. That's still a lot more than he probably deserved because the melody was written, most of the verses, the chorus was written. It's, it, it seems to sum up just to one verse. Is, um, it, is it credited to McCartney Lane? I don't. Or McCartney? <laughs> Right, folks, let's trust Wikipedia here. Oh, my God. That is a very good question. No, not Mullikintyre the place. It says songwriters Paul McCartney, Denny Lane. That's interesting. Let's, let's see. I, I promise you it was £100,000 he got for the rights to not only Mullikintyre, but all of his composing, composing work with Paul McCartney. He got £100,000. I also didn't know that there was a debt that he'd basically accrued by that point, and that's why that whole machination had to happen, and that's why he had to sell. It seems like a lot of unfortunate events happened at the end of that story. For, I paid for him five hundred for his, for his contributions to uh, Blackbird. Mm. I paid him $500. That's pretty pathetic, isn't it? <laughs> like, like, whenever I chat to you, I always feel like there's this untalked about world of rock stars house-sitting for each other and looking after each other's mansions. It's, it's a deeply incestuous <laughs> uh, world. And I'll tell you that for all their drug-taking and revolutionary ideals of youth, they become very Republican as they get older. And they, oh, yes, well, it's like, it's like Magic Alex, a smoke a joint. Oh, good Lord, I've been defamed, you know. So it's they become very straight and square and they want to, you know, the, the Beatles are interested by, as I can, I understand it, in preserving the legacy and writing the story that they want people to remember, not what I write. They don't want me. Yeah, I mean, who, who in the Beatle fandom wants to consider that maybe Lennon and Linda had something that happened at one point in the 70s. These were rock stars, man. Rock stars do some shit. You never heard that Linda McCartney was widely regarded as a groupie? Ginger Baker told me that he had a carnal knowledge of Linda McCartney. 
and rolled his eyes and said sort of who didn't because I wrote a book with Ginger Baker which is yet to come out no, I can't imagine. Was, it was the sixties. People were young, didn't you? Well, you're still young, but I mean, we. I mean, sex was like the most important thing in my life for years and years and years. So, I mean, and I didn't have much access. But what if you're young, famous, have all the money in the world, and you know, it's the logical thing is to get high. Oh, so it's I, it's meant to be pre-Paul then this encounter, or yeah, oh yeah, oh, oh what no, with Lennon? Yeah, because wait, I, stop. Yeah, stop. So, with Lennon. Yeah, with Lennon. I thought the idea was... Um, no, no, no. It was, in, it was in that Rolls Royce. It was in that white Rolls Royce. It might have been during the record, recording of Abbey Road. <laughs> That's I, pretty scandalous. No, I thought it was... Um, I read that I it don't was, know. I don't know. You have to read the book. Yeah, I thought it was in the 70s, and he went round, and they had some wine, and Paul wasn't there, and then they helped make, make, the, make the bed... And uh, yeah, one I one thing led, led, led this to is the this is I, what book was it in? Blackbird. Uh, I think it's in Lenin in, in America. I believe probably it's not. A, I don't know. That's too for Blackbird. <laughs> it's stupid for me to make a comment on that because okay. memory okay. doesn't serve me in that regard. But yeah, I know mm. that that's in one of the books. No, um, well, speaking of Lenin in America, I thought it was very bold in the way that the opening basic chapter is the stuff that like directly confronts Lennon's sexuality. Which everybody stole from me. Philip Norman then wrote a book on John Lennon. It, listen, I've been ripped off uh, hu- bigly, as Trump says, uh, in my books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A lot of people have just got, plowed through my books and take cherry-picked and took stuff out. And then, and I've even seen them sell it to the uh, Daily Mail, you mm-hmm. know? that I had had serializations in the Daily Mail and then it was repeated 20 years later. What do I care? Good luck to them. I was just wondering, like, obviously by that point, you might have like a cruder fan base. Like, do you, do you put something like that in the opening chapter to hook people in? Or is it because you know people are going to be skimming through the book anyway and you're just helping them get to the bit that they want to read? I want my books to be successful. Yeah. I want them to be well-read. Life is controversial. I'm not controversial. Life is controversial. At the end of it, we die. And before we die, we get old and unattractive and we, our wife leaves us and our dog dies and we get the fourth stage of prostate cancer, whatever it is, the drama of life. is Life is not pretty. So the drama is inherent in life in the material world. And um, my books reflect that. I don't feel, just the way I talk, I know people can hear it. I know people instantly sort of either don't like me or like me a lot because it's ne- never, no one's ever ambivalent about me. It's like, what do you think about Jeffrey? Oh, I don't know. I've never thought about it. How oh, people think about it, you know? And they either sort of really dig me or they just think, oh, he's a complete asshole, wanker and all that stuff. But anyway, so um, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, let's address my favorite quote here. Uh, when Timothy Leary called you a very big polar bear in a very small igloo, what do you think? Well, that's true. Bear? That's true. No, that's true. That's absolutely true. No, it's I look, I tell you something. I didn't know what a narcissist was until Donald Trump came along. And he's the sort of zenith, the, you know, the archetypal poster boy for toxic uh, narcissism. I, too, am a narcissistic or narcissist, as are almost everybody that willingly enters the public arena. Mm-hmm. seeking the love and approbation of unknown people because they didn't get it as a child or whatever it is. That's usually what it is. My, my daddy wasn't there to take me to the fair. I guess he didn't care, said uh, uh, Mike Myers in that. Uh, oh, that's in, that's in um, Goldmember, I think. Right, something like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Austin Powers, yeah. 
I am narcissistic, but I'm a healthy functioning narcissist and not in any way toxic, just reasonably narcissistic. So I've, you know, I mean, it's, I think you can see when, when the book thing dried up, I went into acting and what do I play in the movies? People will be happy to hear a fucking lunatic always mafioso, whatever it is. Yeah. No, because I remember when I first discovered you, I was like, hang on, I've I've seen Scorpion King. Hang on, I've, de- I've definitely seen this guy before. It was a, it was a- No, my, my big movie moment. now is one called Peninsula. Okay. Big hit in, big hit in Korea. And I always play a, a, you know, like a mafia guy or something. I had a eureka moment. When I was young, I met the Hare Krishna devotees, and then it was kind of bolstered by everything George Harrison mm-hmm. did up to living in the material world. And then I kind of dropped off with it in his Hare Krishna content of his music, which was wonderful to me and all the other devotees, but people who went into it got, Oh, how maudlin he's preaching about Krishna. And these, we loved it, you know, but I mean, the people that weren't into Krishna didn't like it at all, but I, I have gone, I'm 67 and I have gone back to my Hare Krishna uh, religion in, in quite a big way. I wouldn't have even told anybody that I was a Hari Krishna a while, when I talked to you even before. But I had, when I was in India, I had a reinvigoration of that ideal. And now, I, you know, I have very little interest in any of this stuff. I'm doing, you know, a garbage truck doesn't pick up garbage because it thinks it's good or right. It picks it up because that's its job. And my job is to write these books and do these audio books and do these other things. And I don't really put a lot, I don't invest. I do it with a disinterested spirit. I, I do not invest a lot of my psych, psychic energy in this, but I do the best job I can. So all my books are coming out again. They will be there when I'm gone, just a few years, today or tomorrow. And the, the, it will be some sort of record. Look, the books were popular. I know because I was paid. And I know how they, publishers beat a path to my door for years and years and years. And um, I even know how much I made. Cumulatively, it was $9 million from 1984 to 2006. Not bragging, because I only got like 30 cents a book, and the books were like $36 or whatever. So the, the publishers made hundreds of millions of dollars from my work. And people say, you know, one thing that does piss me off is people who don't know how publishing works, they say, well, you just make shit up. No, you can't do that. Because since you're talking about famous people with deep pockets that can sue the shit out of the publisher, who also has deep pockets and they can collect, like what happened with Magic Alex, they have lawyers, teams of lawyers, vet those books. And even with this book, when I said shit about Magic Alex, I had to prove in three different places where it had been published that he smoked marijuana. And and even though when I went back to them, as I told you before, um, hey, uh, no, 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 just give the guy some money and get rid of him. I just couldn't believe how much money they gave him. Half a million quid. No, because like, ridiculous. it must have gotten to a point whereby reputation precedes you and it must be harder to oh, get. Oh, no, no, to, like, no, no, Q Magazine. You. When I did the Pete Townsend biography yeah. on the front cover, Q Magazine put, oh no. He's been Pete Giuliano'd. Had Giuliano'd. I became a fucking verb. I was very honored by, I still am honored about that. Yeah, I saw I, I saw that on Google Images. I was like, yeah, he loves that. I know he loves that. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of coming across your work randomly, you are on Amazon Prime. Your uh, your your film, The Beatles: A Celebration, which oh, which, oh, which you oh, appear in. Don't do that you to co-direct. me. I thought you were my friend. Oh, what the on, hell is this? Because, no, uh, no, I'll, no, I'll no. tell you what that. Is. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. 
It's not like there's nothing. Yeah, it's, it's totally unofficial, right? It's totally unlicensed by no, Apple. Just, and... No, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what it is. There was a guy called Michael McLean at a place called Delta Music, and he was in charge of millions of dollars in Santa Monica. And he loved my work, and he said, "I'm going to give you a lot of money to make a movie." <laughs> Okay, a lot of money to make a movie. I'll tell you what I did. I was I had opened a Hare Krishna animal sanctuary food bank and temple in Lockport, New York. And I needed money for that. So I said, okay, I made the I made the movie for about a nickel and I yeah. kept all the rest for myself. That's, and put it in uh, put I, it into the ashram. I mean, literally, I think <laughs> I've spent maybe five thousand dollars on a movie. And he paid me like two or three hundred thousand, and there was no oversight. He just wrote me a check. I cashed it in Los Angeles, took the money home in a briefcase. I think it was 300 grand. And uh, we just, she said, what are you going to, my wife said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to spend a nickel on the movie and keep the rest. And that's what I did. So it's a horrible, I mean, I can't believe, I, I also did one for him on John Lennon, which is out okay. there. It's called John Lennon, Working Class Hero. I've never even, uh, I just, it's really super embarrassing, but I deserve that one because I basically <laughs> stole that guy's money. No, when I, when, when I saw that you were in it, I was like, Oh yes, here we go. And it was no, but, very, but it was very. Best, no, the best. It was like, I was gonna say it was like the Ruttles. I was like, it's a, he's like Eric, Eric Idle in the Ruttles. I love it. <laughs> if you put my name in, if you put audiobooks Jeffrey Giuliano in Google, you'll see many, many. Uh, that's what I. That's my main business now. Is I make, I produce audiobooks. I have a studio back here. Yeah. And uh, we've, I've done lots on the Beatles, and so in fact, I'm, I'm just finishing one up that took me a month to do called Hari Krish, George Harrison Hari Krishna Man. Mm. And it's it's everything that anyone's ever said about George and Krishna consciousness and anything George has ever said about Krishna consciousness. I gathered all these sound bites together put, and wove them together with mm. a narrative. I'm quite proud of it. It's four hours long. George Harrison, Hare Krishna Man, it'll be online and available in about a month. I think every famous or infamous personality has one question that they hate above all. Like, you know, George with the Beatles. Would you say... The question you hate the most still to this day is the whole Lennon Diaries fracas. No, it's the Olivia Harrison. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, Olivia Harrison. Yeah, fuck Olivia Harrison. <laughs> I was I should I was thinking about writing a book about her called Lucky Secretary. Oh. Because that's what that's what she is. She's a lucky secretary who married very very well, and you know she she uh, was presented to me as a big spiritual person. I don't see her at too many ashrams in India now that she's got all the money in the world and she's in her 70s. I'll tell you something about Krishna consciousness. When you get old, it says 50, but mm. I left it a while. You're supposed to sort of, with many religions, it's the same, sort of walk away from your worldly life and immerse yourself in your mm. spiritual life in preparation for changing bodies. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I don't see her doing much of that. No, I don't, you know, people say, well, you're, that's kind of catty of you. I don't like Olivia Harris. <laughs> I didn't like her the moment that I saw her. I don't like her when, didn't like her when she wrote that article, which I don't think she wrote. I think Eric, Derek Taylor did because I think the vocabulary and, and the intellect expressed within that article is beyond her limited, meager capacity. And I don't like her now. Um, so you just lost half of your audience there who love Olivia Harris. Um, obviously, you, you spoke earlier about certain revisions and updating stuff. Are we going to get any more accurate transcriptions of the Nielsen Lennon no, Diaries? I try to keep things as inaccurate as possible in my books. Yeah, no, because I thought <laughs> it was... It's my brand. It's no, my brand. <laughs> no, but 
I thought part of the idea that you couldn't do the direct transcriptions was for legal reasons. Have the, oh, you're talking about the diaries? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there statutes okay, of, of, of no, like no, limitations no, 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 no. on I'll, that? I'll, 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 I'll explain that to you. Yeah. Okay. Right. So we, the publisher, Cooper Square Press in America, the originating publisher, hired a uh, law firm called Baker and Hostetter in Washington, D.C. Now, this is the personal attorney of Bill Clinton and many other. It's a super big thing, law, okay. law firm. Wow. So I had, uh, they paid them 50,000, they paid a bill of $50,000 for a one sentence advice. I'll give it to you now. No one owns the thought, no one owns a thought or idea. Only the particular expression of a thought or idea. That's the whole crux of copyright law right there. So John Lennon wrote in his diary, I went to 7-Eleven to get a Coke. Mm -hmm. And I wrote in my book, Lennon America, feeling somewhat thirsty, John nipped out and went to a local convenience store for a beverage. Same right. exact thing, but I had to reword it. I couldn't quote anything. Is that still, is, is that still the case this day? Still or? the case, absolutely. Okay. Okay. John Lennon, will just, the state will come after you with a temp. Now, I am writing a book called Black Widow, Yoko Ono Unauthorized, and it's going to be published when she dies. Why is that? Because dead people don't have any uh, right, rights of privacy or publicity. Yeah, you can't, you can't libel the dead, can you? No, in other words, you can say anything you yeah. want. In other words, the truth. Because she libels herself. She indicts herself by her, her behavior in this world, material world. Did, uh, did, did Nilsson ever have anything to say? I mean, about I don't like Olivia Harrison, but I loathe Yoko Ono. Oh, no, no. We're, we're, we're going to end things with Yoko later on. Um, did uh, Harry Nilsson ever talk about McCartney at all? He said he was really, really talented guy. And I think he said he was chipper or something. His feeling about Paul, because I became close to Harry, was relatively, was uh, the same as mine, that he's a sort of a, he has a veneer. I always think he's the school prefect, you know, <laughs> there, there in Liverpool, always trying to please his masters and say the right thing and not do anything to offend. And uh, Jim McCartney used to say, you got to, uh, to get along, you got to go along. So, I mean, mm -hmm. it, now that later became kind of show busy. And the, I can tell you this, when I had spent the limited amount of time, I'm not pretending to be a big friend of Paul McCartney, but when I was sort of up there and everything was okay with the Beatles of Celebration and the Julia Baird book, when I had some very, very limited contact with Paul, personal contact with Paul McCartney, I found Linda to be warm, genuine, lovely, interested in you. And I found Paul to be sometimes fake friendly. Mm. Fake yeah. friendly. Maybe he's gotten better at it as the years have gone on, you know. With you know, His singing hasn't improved as the years have gone on. I'm too biased here. I still love it. I mean, I saw him, I, th I think since we last spoke, I saw him live actually. And I said I wasn't going to cry at Blackbird. I said oh, yeah, I wasn't going to go wow with the fireworks at Live and Let Die. I still did, you know. I think, his, I think his wife Nancy is lovely and wonderful for him and good for him. Oh, and she makes him dress properly now as well, thank God. He actually dresses like someone who has a billion dollars, which is <laughs> something that has been missing for a while now. But um, I, I, I don't know, did you, did you watch those things he did last week with the uh, Zoom interviews? And you could see he was just, he just didn't want to be there. Oh, for three imagined. Yeah, they weren't the best. They weren't. Uh, he just didn't want to be there. Especially at that age, though, the interview circuit's got to be really starting to wear on as well. I mean, 
God knows how we'd feel if you were still hey, talking about Hey, you know, one thing that does, I'll tell you something that pisses me off is nobody but you will have me on. Well, that's good nobody, for me. <laughs> good for you, but nobody, you know, it's like I could do these things every day, but nobody would, oh, I'm not having that guy on my show. You know, listen, man, I was the most famous rock biographer in the world. I've written 32 books, something like 24 in the Beatles. Mark Lewis and hit. Nobody's done what I've done. Now, you, I, you can judge yourself about the quality, but in terms of quantity, in terms of publishing year after year, decade after decade, I'm the guy. You know, I was the biggest rock for a long time. 20 years, I was the biggest rock biographer in the world. And, 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 and Olivia Harrison says that's a ludicrous title. It's so ludicrous that I, I banked about $9 million and traveled all over the world in, in the, like a fucking rock star. So, um, you know, I had a, I, I, look, I'm a plumber's son, man. I'm a plumber's son from Lock, uh, Albion, New York. I've gone a long way. It's like a stone in a slingshot. I just, you know, I was launched at about 30. Mm, and I've, I've never stopped. Do you end up in Coventry here in the UK? Because I lived in Coventry for about three years. And I just thought that was a weird connection. Yeah, I used to drink at the, uh, the, the, uh, the Golden Cross, crossing the Coventry Cathedral. That was my big, it's still there. I think the it Golden, is, yeah. yeah. It is, yeah, Coventry yeah. Cathedral. Then there's the Golden Cross. And I, I learned to, I went there and I learned to shag. <laughs> I was this American guy, you know, kid. Were you, you, I bet you were the guy that stole the acorn on the peace day, weren't you? I bet, I bet that was uh, you. No, but the, <laughs> I'll tell you what was there was that white thing that they put around it. Yeah. You know, that white metal thing that was there. They came and got it later. But in 1970, when I went there, I learned how to smoke hashish and put the little, uh, I don't do that now, put the little cardboard, uh, filter in and uh and 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 put mix it with the tobacco i learned I, we had platform boots i learned to shag i said what shag and they said come on we'll show you i learned about shagging i learned uh, and i learned about uh, uh wobblies which were mandrakes you know we used to have a good fucking wobble and we take these wobblies and we drink in barbiturates i learned all that stuff i used to go to swansea i went to many many rock concerts i don't know why in swansea I had a really good time when I was a hippie in Coventry, England in 1970 to 1973. So how the hell does Denny Lane come up to you and say, can I, can I live with you, please, Jeffrey? How no, well, he, no, because I had known Jojo. I had met Jojo and Jojo, my first book had come out and Jojo was a star fucker. I love Jojo. She used to call me Big Daddy. Say, Big Daddy, what are we going to do today, Big Daddy? <laughs> Um, so she was a real, she was lovely and I loved her and we had a little bit of a fling, but as Steve Holly said to me, who hasn't? And, um, so I, I met Denny from, took a long time cause I wasn't, you know, I was, I had a little thing going, even though I was married, I had, I'm a bit of a, you know, I'm a near do well. I think anyone can see that. I had a, a little affair with Jojo and stayed at her house in, uh, number three, right next to Chrissy Hine, number three the main street, St. John's Wood. And uh, I used to stay there with her and I met Denny through her. And then, you know, I'm always pitching. I knew that Denny hadn't done any, has he ever done a book? He hasn't done a book, has he? Solo book. Uh, I'm going to say no, but I'm going to turn my mic off. I'm sure he hasn't. Let's have a look. Denny Lane autobiography. No. No. <laughs> the first thing that comes up is Blackbird, the life and times of Paul McCartney. Right, right. <laughs> the closest thing he's right. got. So, so he was skint and he was married to Helen Grant 
and they, Peter, uh, oh, this is a funny story. You know who Peter Grant is, right? The guy, the manager of Led Zeppelin, the big fat guy. Mm-hmm. And, and one time he called me up and he said, hey, Juliana, I want you to fucking give Denny and Ellen $3,000 fucking dollars right fucking now. Do you understand me, you fucking wanker? And I said, is that what you want? That's what I fucking want. I said, well, I'll tell you what, you fat fuck. You can go fuck yourself. I'm not giving him a fucking nickel. And I slammed the phone down. This was in the upstairs of my house. About two minutes later, a lawyer rang. I said, oh, Mr. Giuliano? Yes, some sort of Mayfair lawyer. says, I hope we haven't gotten off on the wrong foot. I'm wrong foot. What are you talking about? A guy talking to me like that? I'm not giving anybody anything. And he says, oh, Mr. Calm down, Mr. Giuliano. We were just hoping that you could just give something tied over Helen and, 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 and Denny for the nonce until we can get it to you. And I'm not doing anything. Fuck you two and put the phone down. But that was an interesting, I'll tell you, I, I'm the, of course, I did it over the phone. I don't know, it, know, know that I would do it in person. But I think I'm the only person that ever told, called Peter Grant a fat fuck and hung up the phone on. So I'm proud of that. That's a, that's a good one to hang on your wall, I think, there. Uh-huh. So when's when's uh, the Yoko Ono book coming out? Because my last question when she, when she when she kicks the bucket, right? Because the the last question I've got here on my on my list is something that you referred to but didn't definitively state last time. A supposed oh tr- trist trist. Yeah, I don't want to say the yeah, word. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, I can't look. I had some kind of relationship with Yoko Ono, allegedly, allegedly. What do you mean allegedly? I was there. Was allegedly, I'm, I'm you. saving you from the lawyers here, Jeffrey. Keep oh, you. No, I mean, uh. I, I, no, 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 just be very, very, be very uh, succinct in what I'm telling you. I, this is what I'm telling you and all that I'm telling you. I had some kind of relationship with Yoko Ono in the 80s. That's all I'm saying. And on that note, everyone, that brings me to the end of my questions, Jeffrey. Uh, this is your chance to freely plug anything you want for as long as you want. If you, if if anyone's interested in any of the audiobooks that I've done, just put in Jeffrey Giuliano, Apple Books or Audible or Amazon, and there's tons of stuff there. I think a lot of that work is worthy. We have Neumann microphones here, and we have everything is the best. You know, I mean, this is kind of my swan song. I'm 67. I'm interested in doing good work. I always have been. So, um, you know, it's interesting. I think that I, I've kind of abandoned more or less the paper book and I've gone to audiobooks. And because uh, I think that's where it's happened. I got to tell you that everybody's going out of business. I'm not going out of business because it, people download books and they listen to them. Mm-hmm. So I do audiobooks now. If you're interested in any of my audiobooks, you can go. To any of the platforms, uh, uh, Amazon, no, not Kindle yet, Mm. Amazon, Apple, Audible, and just put my name in or just put audiobooks Jeffrey Giuliano and they'll come up. Yeah, I don't particularly have, you know, I'm not out really to sell anything. I just do my work. I work hard. I still, you know, I'm proud that at 67 I work as hard as I did when I was 30. Yeah. I get up, I work. Five o'clock in the morning, and I work until whatever eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night. Jeffrey, so, I am yeah. I am so happy that 
your six months in India didn't prevent you from being able to have this conversation with me today. I'm so happy that we've been able to, to uh, speak again. It's been far too long and it holds a very special place in my heart, the fact that we get to have, to have, to have these chats only on this show. But, you know, conversely, there are lots of other people that I would love to hear you converse with as well. So hopefully something will get uh, rolling in the future. But all I've got to say is thank you for coming on, man. It's been a pleasure once again. My pleasure. Anytime, man. Yeah. Take care, everyone. It's been another episode of Paul or Nothing. Uh, B-Tards is a copyright of Jeffrey Giuliano or major corporations, CCC, blah, blah, blah. You know the drill. Denny Lane, play us out, dude.